Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your four and six Detroit Pistons. Ben and I talk about Blake Griffin's return. what that means for some of the other players that have found success in his absence. And then we talk about Michael Pena's Andre Drummond piece at length. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Uh, Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Detroit, the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Doing good, Laz. Excited to talk about looking forward. Big news, Blake Griffin's going to be back. So uh, some things to be excited about. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that as well. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, I am also excited that Blake Griffin is going to be back. If, uh, if you told me before the year, like we, we figured when we did the podcast about his injury, right. That he would be gone around 10 games. And I think that, uh, well, yeah, I think that around, if we said before the season that like they were going to be around 500 in Blake's absence, they'd be fine. And they are around 500 in Blake's absence. So like, has that been fine, Ben? <laughs> Yeah, so big picture, I agree with you. Like, if you'd told me this several weeks ago when we were chatting, yeah, they'll be four and six. Derrick Rose will be playing great but injured, and, you know, Andre will be a stud, and Luke Kennard will be a stud. I'd, I'd say, yeah, I'll take that. Absolutely, I'll take that, right? Um, you know, from the micro perspective, um, it's a little bit disappointing because, actually, I really think they could and probably should be 500. They've, they've lost some games they really should have won, but... The margin for error, the margin for error is small this season, and two games under 500 is it's not insurmountable. I think they can still do this if if Blake comes back strong. Yeah, I think the micro is not necessarily that uh, they lost close games; it's that they lost close games to teams people perceive as as bad. Right? Yeah, yeah. They lost a close game to Chicago. They lost a not so close game to to Washington. Uh, they lost a close-ish game to, to Indiana, a game that they probably should have, could have won. And so, uh, you know, being two games over 500 with some of those wins feels a lot better than being two games under 500. But but we'll take it. Yeah, and then I think the flip side of that is, had Blake been there for those games, that that's where the Pistons would be. And I think that would be, I think that'd be okay. I think people would be pretty much okay with that. All right, so so we got the report from Woj uh, early last week. Blake plans to he plans to return Monday against Minnesota. Um, it's been ten games. What what's what's a reasonable level of expectation for for Blake Griffin uh, as he comes back from his injury? Yeah, so I'm nervous and I'm excited both all at the same time. I mean, obviously, there's no question about this. Blake Griffin makes the team better, right? There's just no question about it. So maybe it's weird to, to hear me say that I'm a little nervous, but uh, I mean, mostly I'm excited. The Pistons have been surprisingly good on offense this season. And obviously Blake Griffin, uh, his, his strongest part of his game is obviously his offense. Uh, so the Pistons stand to get better offensively. Um, you know, currently they're surprisingly 13th in the NBA in offensive rating per NBA.com, which I think is a real shocker to, to me and to most Pistons fans. And, even more surprising, they're eighth in the NBA in assists over the past several seasons. Um, this has not been a team that moves the ball very well. And so they've managed to sort of cobble together this uh, team-oriented ball movement offense 
um, that has been surprisingly effective. And I think, obviously, you throw uh, the best offensive player on the roster into that mix, and and things stand to get better. He's obviously a very good passer. Uh, he showed in the second half of the season in particular that he doesn't need to you know, have a 40% usage rate to be a hugely impactful player on offense. Um, he doesn't need to score 29 points a game for the Pistons to win. He's got some help, um, which, which I think is useful for him. Um, yeah, so obviously he's going to make a huge impact on offense. Um, I'm hopeful that he can step in, especially as he gets his legs under him, as sort of the hub of the offense, right? Like we've seen Luke Kennard and Andre Drummond be really impactful as individual offensive players. So hopefully he doesn't feel like he needs to do everything by himself, right? So hopefully he can just sort of work his way in slowly. And then obviously one of the biggest things he's going to do is be that safety net uh, for when the Pistons have been, you know, eight seconds in the shot clock, nothing has worked in terms of the off the ball movement, who do you give the ball to? Well, you just kind of throw it to anybody. Now you're going to have, you know, one of the most versatile scorers in the NBA to give the ball to. Uh, so, so that's huge. And then I think from my perspective, he gets Markeith Morris out of the starting unit. <laughs> uh, and I think that's a positive thing. Uh, so he obviously makes uh, the Pistons better offensively. And look, defense is really where the Pistons have struggled. 25th in the NBA and defensive reading, uh, rating, a huge step back from just a season ago. And, you know, Blake doesn't address their main problem directly, which in my opinion is perimeter defense and dribble penetration. But I think he should be a much more effective team defender than Thon and Keith. You know, last year we saw him among the league leaders in charges taken, which is sort of a weird stat for a superstar player to have. He's obviously not a rim protector, but he can be very disruptive because he's very good at moving his feet uh, and challenging um people off the dribble in sort of that unconventional way. So I think he helps make the defense better too. Plus he's a better rebounder than Thon and Keefe. Um, you know, Drummond's been the only guy rebounding the basketball and defensive rebounding is part of defense. So Blake gives us another guy uh, who can rebound the ball. Um, the only thing I'm a little nervous about, you know, is obviously Blake is accustomed to being a high usage guy and whenever you throw a guy like that into the mix after 10 games of this team trying to figure it out, you run the risk of maybe in the very short term a little bit of disruption, right? So everybody's got to sort of readjust to each other when a guy like Blake Griffin enters the lineup for the first time. Uh, long term, that doesn't concern me at all. Um, but I mentioned multiple times the margin for error for this team is pretty small. Uh, so they've, they've got to figure it out quick because they can't afford much of a draw drop off offensively I mean obviously long term I think they figure it out uh, and Blake only makes the team better but you asked about expectations I wouldn't be surprised if we get some goofy turnovers and some sloppy passing these first couple games uh, while, while he's figuring out what this new look Pistons team looks like yeah I think the the other thing that uh, you mentioned a bunch of stuff all of it great but one thing that I'm, I'm just generally thinking of is so the Pistons play a Monday Tuesday back-to-back Oh, yeah. And it seems uh, wise not to immediately play Blake in a back-to-back situation coming off a, a hamstring uh, strain. But at, at the same time, like how many how many back-to-backs should we you know reasonably expect from Blake? How how hard should we expect the the coaching staff and the training staff in the front office to be to be willing to to push him on a night in night out basis? And so some of that, I think, is, is going to be learned in time. I definitely don't think he's going to play Tuesday against the Miami Heat, a game in which he, he would be sorely needed. But, uh, yeah, just his his availability remains, uh, even though he's back, it, it, the, his future availability kind of remains an, an open question. Um, but, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of stuff. Again, uh, all of it great. I think that... Uh, the, the disruption that makes you nervous kind of uh, excites me, as we've seen. Uh, this team could use a little bit of disruption on offense, despite the fact that they're, you know, uh, above average offensive team. Um, they've definitely had stretches where they've struggled to score. They've We've talked a lot about the turnover issues over the last couple of podcasts. I think that while, while Blake is a like mid to high turnover guy because of his usage, I think that just uh, having him out there on the floor will prevent uh, a, some number of those and the, that'll be useful. Um, I think that the, the reinsertion of Blake without Reggie Jackson in the starting lineup 
will be beneficial to some of the young guys who have expanded their roles uh, in Blake's absence. I'm specifically thinking of Luke Kennard. Like we saw last year that Luke kind of deferred a lot whenever Blake and, and Reggie were on the court. And now he's, he's learned to be aggressive. He's learned to be the, the fulcrum around, around an offense and uh, having Blake on the floor. I think he he's, he's hit that level of confidence. Well, I don't think Blake uh, takes away from anything Reggie Jackson has to offer. And, you know, most importantly, this means fewer Thon Maker and Mark Eve Morris minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so so when Blake's back, do you, do you think he'll play some backup center? Or uh, do you think that uh, Casey goes with uh, like Blake Morris minutes or Blake Wood minutes? The, the backup center uh, conundrum has been like really has been a glaring issue for this team. They, they just struggle anytime Andre Drummond sits. And so like, Will will somebody else will the demotion of like a thon maker make the the backup center uh, more useful in your mind? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, you know what I think will happen and what I think should happen are probably two different things. Um, coaching staff's not fond of Christian Wood, and I I get it. He he is not a good team defender, and I it's very obvious the coaching staff does not trust him at the big man position on defense. And I get, I get why, like I, I see it and I see it's a real problem. And obviously this, this team's defense is bad enough that, you know, you don't want to have your, your main big man, your main backup big man exacerbating those issues. So it wouldn't surprise me for Casey to try something crazy and, and play one of those three guys, Blake, Thon or Keith at backup center. Um, I, I get scared about doing that with Blake. Cause I think you really want to try to save his body. I mean, his, his approach to offense is so physical and it has become so much more physical over the past two seasons that he takes a beating, you know, even if he's not playing, you know, banging inside on defense. So um, if it were me though, I mean, I would play Christian Wood and I would, I would coach him up. I, I personally think um, he's had a couple games where he just has been like a no show, right? Like the nine minutes and then zeros across the board. But then he's also had those moments where, you know, he's been very impactful in spite of the fact that he, hasn't played good defense I would roll with him and I would I would coach him up and I would just try to keep his minutes realistic until uh until he really catches on defensively he's still young enough and he really I mean you, you look at the situations he's been it's not like he's been a part of really strong defensive systems I'd play him I'd coach him up uh because I think his ceiling is just so much higher at backup center than a Marquise Morris or a Thon Maker obviously not than Blake Griffin but I, I don't want to I don't want to beat up Blake too much, especially as he's just getting his legs under him. Yeah, I think like Thon outscored Christian in the last game, uh, which was like shocking yeah. to me. And and there are definitely times where uh, Christian can can disappear offensively, but when he's on, he's he's really good, and it's something that in an element you you want to preserve off the bench. So what I was thinking was you play like Wood and uh, Andre together. Make Blake the the first big man sub, yeah, and yeah. then you play uh, like Keith and Blake together. Now, Blake rebounds, and that's Keith's like main weakness as a as a backup center. And so that that area that Venn diagram is kind of covered. And we've seen some from these Pacer games like Markeith Morris can hold up against uh, centers. He was holding up, you know, fairly well against Demontis Sabonis when uh, the Pacers were playing both of their uh, their bigs at the same time. Um, he held up pretty well against the uh against like the thomas bryants of the world um so i I think that uh if we're if we're looking for ways to and he adds like another stretch element uh playing next to blake as like a uh not really a stretch five but a guy who's willing to take those shots um that'll be like another element that the pistons haven't had in the past because don can't make threes and so i think that preserving those individual pairings, like not trying to experiment. Uh, we've already seen what Markeith and Dre can do together and it's not, it's, it's okay. It's not great. Um, we know what Blake and uh, Andre are capable of. They're capable of greatness. Um, and we know that Wood and Andre is like one of the better two man pairings for Christian Wood because, you know, Andre Drummond covers a lot of ground for him and uh, on, on defense. Yeah. I like that idea a lot, Laz. I think that's, there's some solid thinking there. I think one of the stats that jumped out of me this week as I was prepping for the podcast was looking at the on-off numbers for our, our bigs, excluding Dre. Um, 
And and Christian Wood is the only one of those guys with a positive net rating right now, which I think maybe surprises some folks. So like Wood to me is the guy when you watch him and he has one of his off games, you're like, this guy is just killing you. But when you look at the big picture, he's actually a plus one on the season, which is pretty surprising. Contrast that with Thon and Keith. Thon is about negative three on the season and Keith is by far the, one of the worst on the team at negative six, which is sort of shocking and I don't think probably tells the full story of any of those guys. But um, I, I don't think the answer is just to throw Christian Wood on the bench. I think you got you to gotta keep working him up a little bit. I, this sounds like I've been not necessarily uh, sparing in my criticism of Christian Wood, but like that doesn't mean I don't absolutely see like what he brings to this team. It's just that yeah. – uh, I get. I also understand like why he's not playing, as you said. I, I see mm-hmm. the the defensive miscues frustrate me, and I can't imagine like a defense first coach like Casey. I can't imagine how much that stuff frustrates him. But they're working on it, and I think they have a plan for it. And uh, the last couple of games, like Wood has entered the game before Thon, and so I think it's safe to say that he's above Thon in the rotation at this point. And so, like, yeah, I think I think that's what they end up doing, and it makes a lot of sense to me, and I hope it works because otherwise, they'd be more Thonmaker. <laughs> well, and I think it's your scenario is really it's a good idea too from the perspective of Blake's minutes and managing his minutes as he's coming back. So that's another sort of hidden hidden perk of the scenario you laid yeah. out. Right, speaking of guys that uh, have been coming off the bench and then playing well. Uh, Langston Galloway. Langston Galloway has been been everything I could have asked for. Uh, everything I did ask for in the tune-up I did this preseason. Shooting 42% from three on four three-point attempts per game, which is down a little bit. But I think that's a good thing because he's taking better shots instead of just coming up and then chucking. Uh, he's shooting 94% from the free throw line, averaging almost two assists a game, which I think would be his uh, is not necessarily a career high, but like a, a Pistons high, a high for him. Uh, in a Pistons uniform. Uh, we're hitting that point where he's playing a little too well for the Pistons to trade him, but the better he plays, the more valuable he is as an attractive trade piece. So I, I'm confused, man. Like, what, what do you want to do with length? Then? Should we, should we keep him? Should we trade him? Should we start him? Should we keep him off the bench? Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving yeah. pieces with this. Yeah. It's lots of different options for a guy. So he's definitely been the unsung hero for me this season. Um, this is by far the best he's looked in a Pistons uniform. Um, he's been a consummate pro. He's been a positive uh, in terms of his locker room presence and his attitude the whole time he's been here. And it's been a whole lot of fun to watch him blossom. And he's blossomed in the weirdest of circumstances where you've got all your point guards hurt and your best offensive player hurt, and suddenly he just springs to life. I think the thing that I've noticed is he seems to be doing a little bit better with the ball moving and with off the ball movement happening. I think sometimes just when he gets, he's standing around and watching a pick and roll happen or watching a Blake post up happen. I don't know. Maybe he just gets lost or or doesn't get engaged. I think he's benefited from the fact that the ball's moving freely. And and I think also too, like he's had, uh, he hasn't had a short leash this season. Like he's, they, they have to play him, right? Like Casey doesn't have any other bodies he can throw out there. And so, you know, he doesn't have to worry about making a mistake and getting yanked. But anyways, to your question, um, I, I think if the goal is to make the playoffs, you you have to keep him or you have to trade him for a guy who's playing the same position because you've got to give yourself insurance with Derrick Rose and Reggie Jackson both injured. Um, we have no idea what Reggie Jackson's timetable is for return. Um, that sort of injury that he has, there's, you know, there's no way to predict 100% how it's going to respond. So he does give you the ability to handle the ball a little bit, maybe not run the pick and roll, but handle the ball. And he's also got the ability to switch a little bit on defense. So I, to me, if your goal is to keep winning, um, I think you keep him or you trade him for a guy who plays the same position. He's, he's earned his spot, I think. Uh, given the the other potential weaknesses in the roster, I don't know what do you what are you thinking with Langston? Trading him for a guy at his position is an interesting proposition because the 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 talk on DBB has always been trading him for a backup center, right? Another another big man who would help cover the deficiencies of Athan and, and Christian Wood, but uh, you know with Wood's emergence and I think with our. Uh, ability to to trust what he can bring at least on one end of the floor um i do think that trading trading langston for another small another wing essentially uh could hold some interest just even somebody with like a little bit more size another tony snell-esque guy who's not necessarily like an an impact defender but uh can guard 
the the bigger threes that that Langston might have trouble with. But for now, I think he's playing so well that it's in the Pistons' best interest to to keep him. Right? I don't know when I when I look across like the trade landscape, I don't know like what kind of guys are available that the Pistons would be interested in in a straight up trade for Langston. Right? And I have no desire with where the t- the Pistons are at right now. I have no desire to like pull a Reggie Bullock and send him out for like another young piece and like some future draft picks uh, either. Um, I don't think, uh, I think the team was scared last year of what Reggie Bullock would get in the open market. I don't think they're afraid of what Langston market and Langston is going to get on the open market. And so that makes him a little bit more attractive as like a, as a, as a keeper uh, target. Um, And, you know, I've, I've entertained the thought of starting Langston just because, um, I want to keep together the the Guns and Roses uh, backcourt off the bench, <laughs> but uh, as long as Derrick Rose isn't back, right, and and Luke has proven himself uh, more valuable than I thought he would be offensively, to be perfectly honest with you, and so it, it makes more, it makes uh, a lot of sense to continue to keep Langston in his current role and just hope he plays this well for for the whole season. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think look if you look at his numbers, eleven points on forty-two percent shooting from deep on twenty-four minutes. That I mean, what more can you ask for, right? Like out of your second-string shooting guard in today's NBA, um, I, I definitely fifth-leading scorer on the team. I definitely think he's he's earned whatever he gets the you know for the rest of the yeah. season. I also think you know if he sustains this, like you entertain bringing him back a season from now, especially because I don't think his his price is going to be all that high. I mean, he's, he's got to continue it for another 70 games, but uh, the way he's producing right now is it's, it's definitely been a huge part of what the Pistons have been doing offensively. Yeah, and, and the consistency, right? The consistency was always the thing. Yeah. He's, he's go having more two for five nights and fewer one for six yeah. nights and fewer one for seven yeah. nights. And uh, even if, like, like I mentioned, he's shooting fewer threes overall, but he's traded a lot of those threes for, um, some like mid-range pull-ups that diversify how teams are forced to defend him. He's traded some of those for some dribble handoff actions and like floaters. And he, he even threw Dre a lob in the New York game, which is like, finally, that's like the missing piece that's been missing from Langston's games is like throw Dre a lob off the DHO every once in a while. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like I'm, I've been very, very pleased with Langston's play so far this year. And I feel like uh, as much as I crapped on him last year, I should definitely acknowledge uh, when he's giving the Pistons exactly what I hoped he would give them. All right. Uh, next up, uh, speaking of guys that have just like played uh, above expectations, Svi Mikhailuk. Svi's in the rotation. He's shooting over forty or over fifty percent from three, and uh, most importantly, he wasn't noticeably bad on defense at least until uh, Friday when he couldn't stay in front of TJ McConnell. Oh, what do you thought about uh, how Svi's been playing, Ben? Well, in his defense, like, so TJ McConnell is one of those guys who's a lot, he's kind of like an Ish Smith. Like, he's much slipperier, much, yeah. slipperier, right, than you think he ought to be. But then when you watch him play, like, after 10 games, you're like, oh, he's actually pretty quick and pretty savvy with the ball. So, not a great matchup for Spee. And McConnell has, has kind of hurt the Pistons over the years a few times. But, yeah, I mean, you obviously, his shooting numbers jump out at you. They leap off the page, and you got to love that. Um, he's another guy who I think has benefited from, some of the movement. I think he's come off some screens very nicely and knocked down some open threes. Um, the thing that kills sort of his box score numbers is these really random high numbers of turnovers, but I'm willing to just sort of write that off as a fluke of a small sample for now. I mean, I think you keep playing him. Um, I think there could be something there. I don't, I don't think we're talking about a starter necessarily, but I think maybe you've got a rotation caliber uh, small forward here. Um, and, and he and Snell, I think, given the the rest of what this roster is, I think at small forward, they can give you a lot of the things uh, that you're looking for and that you need out of that position. So yeah, I, I'm super happy to see that he looks like an NBA player after hardly seeing him a season ago. He lo- looks like there's something there. And I sort of like Christian Wood, I say, keep playing him, keep coaching him up and, and see what you've got. I was really worried about how he was going to hold up defensively because I knew we always knew he could shoot, right? He shot over 40% from three for his career in all four years in college. Uh, he shot over 40% from three in his time in the G league. And so in, uh, it was never a question of like, can this guy make enough shots to, to stay in the NBA? The question was always like, can he defend, especially for a Dwayne Casey coach team? Can he defend enough to, to get on the floor? 
And, you know, before the Indiana game, he, he wasn't bad. He wasn't, he wasn't noticeable in the same way that like Tony Snell hasn't necessarily been noticeable uh, for this Pistons team, like in a, in a positive way that like there's hasn't been many breakdowns on the backside. Um, There hasn't been uh, times when like a, a much bigger guard overpowers him or a a smaller guard kind of outquicks him and again until the Indiana game. But yeah. And uh, that was something that uh, when you talked, when I talked to like Joe who like watched him a bunch in Grand Rapids or like that was the scouting on him coming out of college was that like, he just, was not the attentive team defender that he needed to be in order to stay on the floor. And so like, if he's learned that, if he's like, if he can actually be a part of a functioning uh, bench defensive unit, like absolutely just keep playing him, keep setting him up to succeed. Uh, I think he, he's, he'll shoot a ridiculous number from, from the corners. Um, He's also got a, the thing that he has to do is rein in his shot selection. I think he went one of two from three against Indiana. And the one he made was like, a corner three on a perfect kick out from Luke. It's like, that's exactly everything you want from Svi. And the one he missed was like a 30 footer as the shot clock was winding down. And he took from like dead away. And you're like, why, why does he have the ball (laughs) with two seconds left on the shot clock? And so just shot selection is going to be the thing that uh, shot selection and defense are going to be the things I, I keep my eye on uh, with Svi. Speaking of like, you know, kickouts from Luke though, Luke has been amazing. Luke scoring 18 points on 45, 42, 88. Um, he's playing his confidence as well, more more so than the balls going through the net. Um, he's playing aggressively um, against against Indiana. He was you know getting to his spot against the drop coverage and just like making all the 18 footage he could ever want. He hit uh, a really big three that keyed uh, the Pistons sort of not really finished comeback in, in the fourth quarter for them. Um, again, as we mentioned, without Reggie Jackson in this team's plans for the foreseeable future, um, are, are we concerned that he's going to fade into the background when, when Blake comes back? Are, are we are we still certain that it's the right call to keep starting him next to Blake Griffin? Yeah, whether or not he should start, I think, is an absolutely fair question. Um, I, I think the thing he's proven since Derek Rose has been out of the lineup is that um, he's a, le- he's a legitimately improved player, right? Like his improved productivity wasn't just the result of playing next to a guy like Derek Rose. Like he's a real deal. Now uh, we know he can score the ball and we can do it in a multitude of ways. He's certainly a starting caliber player. In my opinion, I think he could start for a lot of NBA teams, but what you're getting at, how do he and Blake Griffin work together is, you know, kind of my primarily primary concern for the offense with Blake coming back and whether they choose to start him or not is, is a very, is a very good question. I mean, I think ultimately when you look at what lineup do you want out there closing games? Like, I, I think you're probably going to wind up saying that you want Luke Kennard and Blake Griffin out there at the same time. Um, you're probably situationally subbing out, Luke because he's not the team's best perimeter defender but um, all that to say you got to figure out Luke Kennard and and Blake Griffin offensively like you got to figure out how to make them work together because you're going to want them out there at the same time Um, long term I think they're going to figure this out they're both super high IQ um, offensive players in particular they both have great court vision they're both good passers they both get to their spots when they have the ball and when they don't have the ball so I have no doubt that they're going to have a couple really fun years of basketball to watch. Um, but in the short term, I, I could I could be persuaded that starting a guy like Langston and bringing Luke off the bench to shore up the second unit um, until you really get Blake back to 100 um, percent makes some sense. Um, but, you know, I, I can say honestly, for me, it's kind of flip a coin because you, you got to figure it out at some point with both of them anyway. Yeah, the. The issue was like it was never, it was never Blake's problem that Luke faded oh, into yeah. the background, right? Agreed. And so, if Luke is playing as aggressive as he has these first ten games, they absolutely should be able to coexist. They absolutely should be able to find a lot of the dynamic that uh, Blake had with Reggie Bullock, who was a guy who uh, elevated himself like far above the offensive expectations we had for him when he first came in. Um, if and like I, I feel pretty comfortable that that is going to happen, but we we won't know for sure 
until the the games start until the the teams play and so it's it's something i'm gonna keep my eye on but something that i expect instead of something I'm, I'm nervous about you know yeah like he luke this year looks like he believes he belongs to the nba which i think has been it's been his biggest problem right like everyone who sees him play realizes okay this kid's got some talent if he ever asserts himself right this year he's asserting himself and i i think the way you said it is perfect luke's lack of assertiveness has never been anyone's problem but his own and hopefully over these first 10 games he's really convinced himself that he deserves to be shooting the basketball even when he's sharing the court with Blake Griffin. Ooh, okay, here we go, Ben. <laughs> so, take a breath. This this uh, earlier this past week, uh, Michael Pena of SB Nation, a guy whose work I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed in the past. He has been he was one of the guys who uh, he was a national guy who saw what we saw in Luke Kennard, um, which is which was uh, which endeared him to me. But uh, he wrote up Andre Drummond for uh, for the mothership SB Nation, and the uh, the core of his piece was that Andre Drummond's offensive production was unsustainable, which is fair, because he was too centric to what the Pistons were doing offensively, which, in my opinion, was unfair because you know I look at who else Andre Drummond is being compelled to play with. Um, there was there was a lot of talk on Twitter. There was a lot of talk. Uh, amongst the uh the author himself about uh the unreasonableness unreasonableness of pistons fans uh, there's a good deal of back and forth uh ben is is andre drummond andre drummond's worth fighting over right andre drummond is part of the, the long-term solution here in detroit is if he's playing like this yeah i mean i stayed out of this one and i was gonna stay you, out of this you were one smart too until you, until you put it on the agenda and i'm like all right we can do this. We can definitely do this. So, yeah, I mean, let me preface this by saying when I'm arguing about basketball, I'm arguing about basketball. I'm not arguing against a person. And if someone disagrees with me about Andre Drummond, look, no disrespect to Michael Pena intended whatsoever. I'm sure he's a good dude. And if we sat down and watched the Pistons game together, we would have a heck of a good time, you know, dissecting the way things uh, play out on the court. But personally on this one, you know, a guy on our team, on our DBB team, who feels a lot of these same things about Andre Drummond is Steve Henson. I got a massive amount of respect for Steve. I just don't agree with him about Andre Drummond, and I feel the same way um, about this piece. Um, cool. So let's – I wrote a lot of notes, but you mentioned something here that I feel like absolutely has to be addressed because it's foundational to what this argument is all about. So in terms of the Pistons so far this season – you cannot possibly evaluate Andre Drummond fairly without taking this fact into account. And this fact is who are the top six guys in terms of minutes played this season, right? Andre Drummond one, Luke Kennard two. Then you've got Tony Snell, Bruce Brown, Markeith Morris, and Langston Galloway. So Luke Kennard, obviously right up there in terms of shots per game and points per game. Um, Derek Rose, obviously up there, but he's not in the top six minutes and he's not healthy right now. So Tony Snell, Bruce Brown, Markeith Morris, and Langston Galloway, which of those four guys do you want to run the offense through rather than Andre Drummond, I guess is my question. Like, I like Tony Snell. I like the fact that he's long and lengthy and he can shoot the ball, and he's had a couple nice games for us lately. I like what Bruce Brown has done on and off throughout the season, but he's still a terrible shooter. Uh, Markeith Morris, the best thing he does is shoot the ball, right? That's his strength. You know, he's he's shooting the ball 17 times per 100 possessions. Dre's shooting at 20. And then you've got Langston, who we've already talked about. Who else Who else is supposed to shoot the ball uh, given this lineup? And it's really kind of the same conversation we had a year ago when all of our guards were hurt, when Kennard was hurt, when Bullock was hurt. Um, somebody's got to shoot. And Andre Drummond, of that group of six guys, uh, is probably your second best option. So I'm not really sure how it's fair to critique Andre Drummond, the player, because he's filling a role that has to be filled as a function of injuries to your, you know, your three other really good offensive players in Blake, Derek, uh, and Reggie. Um, so to me, like fundamentally, I feel like that that point got missed, and as a result. Um, you know, Michael just ended up critiquing things that have nothing to do with Andre Drummond, the player, and are strictly a function of the fact that this team has been um, decimated by injuries. Um, 
And from there, I mean, there are lots of points in the piece that I feel like I could disagree with. Like I, I, I tweeted earlier today that, you know, like I felt like I could write 5,000 words sort of point by point rebutting these things. But, you know, ultimately, um, there. Are the, let me talk about a couple of points specifically. Um, first one, uh, Michael said, if you could ever simplify his responsibilities, opt to, mac- to opt to maximize what he already does well, and, you know, try harder, that's a wrecking ball. Okay. On the surface, I don't disagree with that, but I also would say go watch the last 40 games of a season ago when he dropped his field goal attempts for a game to 12, when he was playing totally within himself and completely dominating games and not forcing things offensively. Um, that guy exists and that guy has never been, um, you know, too thick headed or too stubborn or too egocentric to step back into that role when the rest of the team is healthy and clicking offensively. Um, and the try harder thing, like, in, in Dre's first couple seasons, I could, I can relate to the fact that he didn't necessarily give everything he had 100% of the time on every play. And, and there are a couple of gifts in the piece that Michael wrote where, yeah, Andre doesn't sprint back 100% of the time, but find me a guy who does, right? Like, I feel like that criticism is like two or three years too late. I feel like over the last two seasons, Andre has given, look at the number of minutes this kid has played. He's missed hardly any games. And he just, he does the things that no one else wants to do in terms of going after every single rebound whenever he's anywhere close to the ball. I feel like the idea that he doesn't try just sort of misses the point. Um, And then I'm going to, I'm going to make one more point last and then I'm going to give it to you. Um, One other comment. Um, Michael talks about 1,700 minutes of evidence. So this, um, for those who haven't read the piece or don't have it in front of them, that's how many minutes Andre has played, right? So over those 1,700 minutes, 17,000, 17,000, sorry, 17,000 minutes, Drummond is negative 374 for his career. Okay, that that's a fact. Can't dispute that that's a fact. Um, and I could probably spend 40 minutes just talking about these like raw plus minus numbers just by themselves. But if you're going to try to evaluate an individual player who has over the course of his career been on bad team after bad team after bad team, you're not going to get a fair evaluation by using raw plus minus numbers um, there in the first place, very, very few NBA players are so good that they can single-handedly lift four other teammates out of the negative in any given game, let alone for 17,000 minutes of basketball, right? So we're talking about like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, James Harden, like the uber elite of the uber elite. Those guys can do it night in, night out over the course of an entire career. But we're talking about like five to 10 guys, five to 10 human beings on the planet in any given generation of basketball players who can do that. The second thing I would say about using plus minus to evaluate a guy in Dre's situation is like without context, that number just doesn't mean anything. Um, Consider a season ago, Jose Calderon played meaningful minutes for the Pistons at point guard. How in the world is it fair to evaluate a guy like Andre Drummond when he's forced to play with a guy like Jose Calderon? And how many years could we go back and say this for, right? Look, look at those John Kuster teams. Where don't, don't go look at those John Kuster teams. <laughs> <laughs> they were so bad. They were so, so bad from top to bottom. Um, so to say, oh, yeah, he's not LeBron James and he can't elevate a team of trash to make the playoffs. Well, duh. Like, of course he can't. How many guys can? And how is it fair? How is that a fair criticism? Because that's true of... 99% of every NBA player at any given time, right? And it's the same situation this season. We've got Tim Frazier starting at point guard until he's not. We've got now Bruce Brown, right? Not even a guy who is figuring into the situation as a point guard, uh, playing at point guard this season. And we're expecting Andre Drummond to what, lead this roster to the playoffs? I, I feel like those the criticisms laid out in this piece there are some that i think are actually correct but they they still miss the point because you're just you're not evaluating andre drummond in the correct way and that's i'm going to stop myself <laughs> because i could talk and talk and talk about this 
but I want to stop myself. Laz, I want to hear what you have to say. I want you to talk me down a little bit because I'm getting frustrated <laughs> just addressing this. So, so I'm going to talk and talk and talk for a little bit <laughs> to, to give you a break, Ben. So on Twitter, when when we're discussing all this, Sean, Sean Corp hit, fearless leader Sean Corp hit on something that I think is really important. He said, yeah, I don't think that any of the things other coaches have tried with Dre to make him effective offensively are because he's stubborn or a diva or because he wants the ball in his hands all the time. I think it's the function of like a center in today's NBA. They were searching for things beyond a jump shot, which he doesn't have that allowed him to be impactful, you know, post-ups, DHOs, face-ups, bringing the ball up the floor off of rebounds. Uh, These are things that they are, they are trying to figure out a way to involve Andre in the offense that uh, don't ne- don't necessitate him um, like shooting threes or spacing the floor or anything like that, um, and so it, there is this there is this limiter right as as a big man who cannot fu- who cannot function at the highest levels of offensive uh, efficiency as a big man who's not a Nikola Jokic or a Carl Anthony Towns or a Joel Embiid like how valuable are you? I think that that's an open question. And uh, I think the answer is that he's still pretty damn valuable, but like like you said, he's not LeBron James, he's not Kevin Durant, he's not James Harden, and like that's okay. We have to be okay with it. It is a it is a function of the collective bargaining agreement that uh, that Correct. he might make as much as those guys. Like not yes. not a value statement. That is an economic statement. Um, but for me, it's this weird thing where a lot of national guys, a lot of national writers see a lot of what Andre Drummond doesn't do in favor and and they don't see as much of what he what he does do on a night in and night out basis. They they see the the lack of uh of hustle in, in transition. They see the uh they see the the moments where uh mentally he's not as in the game as he admittedly would like not not to be. Um they see the moments where uh they see the the thing on the uh, the first game of the season on like the first three minutes, he takes a, a three pointer and misses it. And it's a, it's a huge thing on Twitter because somebody clips it and it's like, well, he had 32 and 23 that night, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> right, the, exactly. but the missed three is all over Twitter. And like, I, I, I get some of it because there are other players in the NBA that I'm guilty of in that manner. Like when I look at a guy like Ben Simmons, uh, a guy who, has uh was anointed number one pick coming out of college his numbers have been uh good to legitimately great but his game has uh largely stagnated since his rookie year and he's uh he's still a very a very odd player to to watch a point guard who doesn't shoot a point guard who's not the size of of a normal point guard uh, a point guard who isn't really a point guard in in a half court setting but I, but that doesn't stop me from admitting that you know Ben Simmons is a very good player, uh, one who's like still under the age of twenty five, and uh, a player who like I would, I would love to have on on my team, but uh, but for Andre, you know Andre doesn't necessarily get that same level of uh, of compassion of he doesn't that that viewpoint isn't necessarily like uh, allotted to him, and uh, I think that's a mistake. I think that there is a lot of analysis of him that sort of ossified in his like third or fourth year. It's like, okay, this is the guy Andre Drummond is. And that that's not true. Uh, He's improved. You know, it hasn't been linear. It hasn't been steady, but he's improved year over year, uh, especially defensively. Um, You know, there was the year he was averaging five assists a game for 30 games. You know, last year he really adapted himself to the drop coverage to to uh, something that he had real problems with in the past. I still have flashbacks of that one game. John Wall scored like forty seven points because Andre refused to meet him at at, at eighteen feet, and he just stepped into every eighteen uh, foot jumper he could ever want. And so, but like that that doesn't happen anymore because he's gotten so much better defensively. You know, lastly, I think you you mentioned this. I think it's this is the the key thing. It's fair to say that the Pistons have have failed Andre Drummond, the the best point guard, pick and roll playmaker he's ever had, uh, in in the role that everybody would like to see him in, the role of uh, pick and roll dive guy. 
his best partner has been the 15, 16 version of Reggie Jackson. Um, he's never played with the type of two-way defender like a Kawhi or a Paul George that would paper over a lot of the recognition weaknesses he had earlier in his career on defense. He's never had anybody who would who would really help him on that end of the floor. Uh, and so he's always been trying to make the best of a suboptimal situation. It's it's hard for me to blame that on it's hard for me to blame that on him. But, you know, he's he's also done his fair share of things that I haven't appreciated for the Pistons. Uh he didn't always give his best effort early in his career. He's improved on that, but that's uh that's still an issue. Um there are times like there were there were times even against Indiana where um he's trying too hard to to be an impact player. And that can cause him to make uh, poor decisions on the court. And there are times when he just gets flat frustrated about uh, about what's happening on the court. You think about Game One against uh, Milwaukee last year, or you know, anytime he matches up with Joel Embiid, <laughs> and mm-hmm. just like the yeah. the mental side of the game can sometimes absolutely get to him. You know, Dre's not a, a perfect player, but he's really good the the whole point of the whole point of tanking and being bad is to find a player like a lebron james or a kevin durant failing that it's to find a player like andre drummond and so he's i, th- I think he's worth keeping around and i think he's worth appreciating for for what he's able to yeah. accomplish this year and what he's been able to accomplish uh over the last couple of years his improvement yeah let me super quickly and a little bit more under control I'll make a couple more comments um you mentioned the pistons failing andre drummond let's make this concrete because part of what this piece felt like to me was someone who has sort of popped in and out on the Pistons over the season and doesn't necessarily have like the game to game continuity of experience that I think is necessary to fully evaluate Dre consider. I mentioned the John Kuster gears, like what the heck was that team even trying to do and what was Andre's role in it? Remember back to SVG's first season and really two seasons where it looked like he wanted to turn Andre Drummond into Dwight Howard. I don't for a second believe that Andre Drummond was the sole motivating force between trying to turn Andre Drummond into a post player. There was an intentional scheme happening to force him into that role, right? So then they go get Reggie Jackson, and they try to turn him into a pick-and-roll man. And as you mentioned, that's really been his most successful uh, offensive role. But then they see injury derail that experiment, right? And so then they turn him into this sort of dribble handoff hub of the offense sort of guy. And he actually looks promising, right? Tobias Harris is the primary guy, but things are sort of running through Andre Drummond. Well, then they go and trade for Blake Griffin, which puts Andre Drummond in an entirely different situation. And then Blake gets hurt last season and this season, and Dre's got to step up again. Recounting all of that history, like if you don't have any of that context and you're writing about Andre Drummond, I don't think you're getting the full picture of why Andre has played the roles that he's played. I think the way I would state it is that Andre Drummond has always stepped up and filled the role he's been asked to play, even when that role is really bigger than the one he should be playing, right? Like even if it's more weight than he can and should carry, he's still stepped up and done it. And this season, he's done it damn well. I mean, he's averaging 21 and 18 on like 57% shooting, three and a half stocks, a few assists. I mean, he's been absolutely brilliant. But for whatever reason, we're hung up on these maybe two or three plays over the course of two or three games where yeah, it looks awkward and he makes a silly decision and ends up turning it over or throwing up some stupid shot. And you're right. It goes through the Twitter Twitter echo chamber and we forget, oh yeah, he had 28 and 22 that night, right? There was just this one play that looked really stupid. Um, The last thing I'll say about this is imagine where the Pistons would be this season without Andre Drummond. Would they be like two and eight? Would they be one and nine? Like, I think that's a very real possibility. Um, Andre Drummond has been the the biggest reason the Pistons still have a fighting chance to go for the playoffs when Blake Griffin gets back. He has absolutely stepped up um, and done way more, I think, than anyone would have expected him to do. Even guys like me, who have been a big fan of him, he's been fantastic. And to say, well, yeah, he really shouldn't be doing this for the rest of the season, totally 100% agree. But let's not pretend that like Andre Drummond, because he's a selfish diva, is shooting the ball as much as he is. No, he's he's stepping up and trying to fill in for guys that 
when they get back, he will rightfully defer to. And I think he'll do that with a positive attitude as well. Andre Drummond played with Josh Smith. Andre Drummond is Ugh. not Josh Smith. We we saw what yeah. Josh Smith we saw what a guy right. who who would not embrace the role that he would be best at. We saw what that looked like. That does not look like what Andre Drummond has been doing over the last couple of years. Absolutely. Very yeah. well said. All right, Ben. The uh, Pistons play three games this week. They play a uh, home, home game against Minnesota on Monday. They fly all the way to Miami on Tuesday. Welcome Black. Welcome back, Blake. Here's a back-to-back. Have fun. <laughs> and then they play at Charlotte on Friday. Which is, this has been a nice little uh, gap for them. I've, I've complained a little bit that they've – uh, they lead the league in games played, and they've played multiple back-to-backs already, which is crazy to think about. We're only like three or three or so weeks into the into the season, but uh, they play. They don't have any games between Tuesday and Friday, and then after that game Friday, they don't play again until next week Wednesday. So it's a lot of space and uh, a time for this team to rest. Uh, it's a uh, perfect time for for Blake Griffin to come back, aside from that back-to-back. So uh, three games this week: my uh, Minnesota, Miami, and Charlotte. Uh, ben. Will the Pistons be 500 when we podcast? I think you got to hope that you go get Minnesota and you go get Charlotte. And uh, I think what you said earlier, go ahead and rest Blake on the second leg of that back-to-back because the odds of beating Miami right now are probably not very good. They certainly can go two and one. Um, but last time, you're Mr. Pistons versus everybody. Which of these three games can they and should they expect? I think, I think they absolutely can win the game against Minnesota and they absolutely should win the game against Charlotte. Charlotte's been feisty lately. Yeah, surprisingly good. But uh, they are, they're this team where all of their wins are very close. They had, a, they had an overtime win over the Pacers that came down to the, to the very last second. And they've had a, a, a good number of very close wins, and all of their losses have been by like 15-plus points. When they lose, it, it looks really ugly. And so if you can, if you can get out in front of that team – um, if you can stay ahead of that team, that's a team that uh, will will let you kind of take over them. And that's a that's another team that ooh, I'm, if this feels really good to say uh, that Charlotte team is uh, another team that just has like nobody on the floor that can guard Blake Griffin when he when he's fully healthy. Yeah, it feels good to be able to say that yeah. again. And so they they yeah. absolutely should go two and one, which I think that would put them at six and seven. So they still wouldn't be five hundred. Dang, they still wouldn't be five hundred by the time we do the podcast. But uh, I would I would absolutely take two and one, even if uh even if Blake played on uh played on Tuesday, which I hope he doesn't. All right, Ben, that was that was fun. We both got to get a little bit of that out of our system. is <laughs> is good to it's good to have Blake back. Get to focus on the positive. Uh, tell the people where they can uh, listen, where they can see you on social media, not talking about other people's pieces for uh, for fear of going off on a 5,000 word tangent. <laughs> yeah, I, I just about stumbled and mumbled my way into 5,000 tonight too. Now hit me up on Twitter at BRGulker. I try to jump into the comments at DVB every week as well. I've been trying to hit up the podcast posts in particular because um, I appreciate feedback and I appreciate talking in depth about the things we discuss here. I'm hoping that, you know, social media is positive. I'm looking forward to, to this week of basketball. I'm, I'm welcome back, Blake Griffin. I mean, we've, we've been waiting 10 games. It's hard to believe it's been 10 games already. Uh, let's have some fun. I, I think this will be a fun week. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And uh, you can hear me wholehearted agree with Ben uh, on Twitter at last chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. You can also listen to my second podcast, Ben Just Joked About Pistons versus Everybody on the Blue Wire Podcast <laughs> Network. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys Podcast, and we will talk to y'all next week.